You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A new variant of Chase malware is described. A smishing triad impersonates postal services. A mini-IO storage exploit's been reported. Okta warns of attackers seeking senior admin privileges. Lockbit compromises a UK security contractor. DDoS takes down a German financial regulator's site. Infamous Chisel is a GRU combat support. Joe Kerrigan on Meta uncovering a Chinese influence effort. Our guest is Connie Stack, CEO of Next DLP, discussing data breach notification procedures. And please, please remember to change your default passwords. Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. Morphosec this morning published a description of a new variant of the Chase malware, Chase 4 which is being used against the financial services and software supply chain sectors. Among the affected targets are Mercado Libre, Mercado Pago, WhatsApp Web, Itau Bank, and MetaMask, as well as content management systems including WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, and Magento. The identity of the threat actors behind the malware is murky, but they've come to be known as Lucifer. The original Chase version was first described in November 2020 by Cyber Reason, which founded active against e-commerce customers in Latin America, especially Brazil. The current variant, like its predecessors, is a criminal tool used to steal information, especially credentials, that can be subsequently exploited for online theft. Chase 4 has been completely rewritten in Python and is more difficult to detect than earlier variants. It also features a modular design that lends it greater adaptability. Infection begins when the victim is induced to execute a malicious installer that usually masquerades as a Java JDE installer or antivirus software installer. The operators of Chase 4 show a particular interest in cryptocurrencies. ReSecurity has warned that a China-based cyber criminal group is running a smishing campaign targeting U.S. citizens by impersonating postal services. 
The threat actors are operating a package-tracking text scam sent via iMessage to collect personally identifiable information and payment credentials from victims in the furtherance of identity theft and credit card fraud. The smishing messages direct victims to a convincing clone of the U.S. Postal Service's website, telling them they need to enter their credit card information in order to pay a small shipping fee as low as 30 cents. The threat actor has targeted users in numerous countries in the past by impersonating the U.K.'s Royal Mail, the New Zealand Postal Service, among others. Researchers at Security Joe's have found that a threat actor was exploiting two vulnerabilities in the distributed object storage system MinIO to steal data and execute arbitrary code. The vulnerabilities have been fixed, but the attackers used social engineering to trick a MinIO developer into reverting the service to an earlier vulnerable version. They then used the flaws to gain access to the MinIO administrative console, which allowed them to push a malicious update containing exploit code. The researchers say the executed commands inherit the system permissions of the user who initiated the application. In this instance, due to inadequate security practices, the DevOps engineer launching the application held root-level permissions. Okta has warned of an ongoing social engineering campaign that's targeting IT employees to gain access to super-administrator permissions. This access enables the attackers to abuse legitimate identity federation features that enable them to impersonate users within the compromised organization. Okta says, In recent weeks, multiple U.S.-based Okta customers have reported a consistent pattern of social engineering attacks against IT service desk personnel, in which the caller's strategy was to convince service desk personnel to reset all multi-factor authentication factors enrolled by highly privileged users. The privateering Lockbit ransomware gang has released documents taken in a cyber attack against Zon, a contractor to the UK's Ministry of Defense that specializes in perimeter physical security, fences, alarms, and allied systems, According to computing, the attack took place over the 4th and 5th of August via a rogue Windows 7 PC running software for a manufacturing machine. Zahn says it was able to limit the effects of the attack, preventing, for example, the encryption of its servers, but some data was lost. The Daily Mirror reports that Zahn serves, among other sites, HMNB Clyde Trident Submarine Base, the Porton Down Chemical Weapons Research Laboratory, one GCHQ facility, various prisons, and a military cybersecurity installation. Lockbit has now dumped stolen data on a dark website. On September 1st, Zahn disclosed, Lockbit will have potentially gained access to some historic emails, orders, drawings, and project files. We do not believe that any classified documents were stored on the system or have been compromised. We are in contact with relevant agencies, and we'll keep these updated as more information becomes available. This is an ongoing investigation and, as such, subject to further updates. On Friday, a DDoS incident rendered the site of Bafin, Germany's federal financial supervisory authority, inaccessible. The authority tweeted that the public website was the only aspect of its operation affected and that the regulator's other activities continued uninterrupted. Access to the website seems this morning to have been restored, Security Affairs reports. 
The attack hasn't so far been attributed to any threat actor, but Bleeping Computer cites reasonable and informed speculation that points toward a Russian hacktivist auxiliary whose objective was to punish Germany for its support of Ukraine. The UK's Ministry of Defense on Monday reviewed the recently exposed infamous Chisel campaign against Ukrainian military targets. The MOD sees the deployment of the Android malware as a significant instance of cyber operations used as combat support. It's also worth repeating that infamous Chisel is Android malware, and its development and deployment shows the increasing convergence of commercial communications tools with military systems. The personal may not always be the political, as the old Marxist saw had it, but nowadays the personal seems to have become the tactical, at least where communications and intelligence collection are concerned. And finally, have you changed all your default passwords to something better? You really should, you know. Cloud infrastructure monitoring company Logic Monitor has disclosed that several of its customers were hit by cyber attacks. TechCrunch cites an anonymous source as saying the attacks were caused by weak default passwords Logic Monitor assigned to its customers. The source stated, When you set up an account with Logic Monitor, they define a default password and all user accounts for your organization and account are made with that password. They also didn't require the changes, nor were they temporary passwords, until this week. Now, the setup password lasts 30 days and must be changed on first login. Logic Monitor hasn't disclosed the nature of the attacks, but anonymous sources close to the incidents told Bleeping Computer that the attackers were able to create local accounts and deploy ransomware. In fairness to Logic Monitor, all default passwords represent an inherent, if perhaps inevitable, weakness. So do change them, and if you're a vendor, be sure to nudge your users in that direction. Coming up after the break, Joe Kerrigan explains how Meta uncovered a Chinese influence effort. Our guest is Connie Stack, CEO of Next DLP, discussing data breach notification procedures. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Where does your organization stand when it comes to data breach notification procedures? Do you have a runbook? A framework? Outside counsel on retainer? Perhaps a PR company on speed dial? Connie Stack is CEO of data protection firm Next DLP, and I spoke with her about navigating the complexities of data breach notification requirements. A lot of people, frankly, they're not um, necessarily 100% certain when notification is required because there are very, um, you know, there are specific regulations within states, there are specific regulations within particular industries, but essentially, when and if you experience a data breach, and many companies have, in many instances, there is a requirement to notify those that will be impacted by that breach. And even the definition of impacted is, um, you know, different state by state and regulation by regulation. But essentially, I think a good rule of thumb is that if sensitive information is lost, information like PII or personally identifiable information, information governed by HIPAA or the Health Information Portability and Protection Act. Those are the kinds of data that if that, if you have uh, a breach at your organization and you believe sensitive information in either one of those categories or potentially even intellectual property is lost, there should be notification required in those instances. So good rule of thumb, you lose PII, you lose PHI, you lose, um, PCI, credit information, you can assume notification is, is required. And an organization who is, you know, developing breach response policies should clearly understand what requirements there are for notification in the states and in the vertical categories in which they exist. You know, it strikes me that, that of course, this is one of those things that you, you want to do all of your planning ahead of time, not when you're in the heat of the moment having experienced a data breach. Do you have any words of wisdom here for people's order of operations? You know, having a run book, rehearsing your your actions, you know, the, those sorts of things, tabletop exercises. So do all of those sorts of things come into play here? Absolutely, Dave. Uh, I love, actually, NIST has published a series of um, standards, best practices, and recommendations. And I don't think they refer to them as the three Ps of a breach response, but I do. And the three Ps that they recommend are policy, plan, and procedure. So when it comes to policy, I mean, that is stage one. As you said, before a breach event even occurs, you should have a policy in place that governs how your organization will you know, respond to a, a potential, you know, data breach or, or loss of sensitive information. And that policy should clearly define, you know, the scope, you know, who is it going to apply to, under what circumstances will this policy be enacted, and so on. But essentially, the first P of breach response is policy, and you should have one. The second one, which really falls out of that policy, is your plan for a breach response, right? I mean, this is your high-level strategy for implementing, you know, that data breach policy. 
So the plan really should identify all the organization resources that you're going to tap into, any required management support. If you require um, any, you know, tailored kinds of communications, you might want to enlist the help of a PR firm and make that a part of your plan and so on. And then out of that plan is a set of procedures that you should be able to follow. You know, it should be, again, well-defined. You should have, um, you know, the ability to follow those clearly because, again, you have predefined those as a part of your overall data breach, you know, policy. And typically when it comes to these procedures, you know, the first thing any organization who suspects a data breach or has confirmed a data breach they, they absolutely want to contain the, uh, the, the impact of that breach, right? They've got to work hard. If they were breached because of a, you know, a vulnerability in, in software that they use, then you've got to patch that vulnerability, right? You need to make sure you're containing um, the impact of, of, of the, um, you know, the attack or the breach that you've suffered. And then you really need to assess and quantify, right? What was the, um, the extent of this breach, right? Because those, the extent of the breach will determine whether or not indeed it is disclosable and whether you need to notify those people who may have been impacted. And those people could be, you know, like I said, your customers in some cases, your employees in other cases and so on. So that assessment is a really important part of your procedure as well. And then the notification comes in and here's where, you know, you want to be crystal clear with your notification procedures. You want to understand who has to be notified, within what deadlines and timelines they need to be notified, what methodologies or approaches you can take to notify them. And they can range from, you know, email to social media posts to special pages on your website and so on and so forth. And then ultimately, you know, review and refine. You want to make sure that the response to your breach was sufficient that you minimize the damage to your business and that you've put corrective measures in place and put improvements in place to your breach policy and notification policies that you may have, you know, acted against in this particular breach, that they need refinement moving forward. That should be a part of it as well. Once the notification happens, I think that, like I said, review, refine is, is a critical step that often gets, you know, I think everybody just takes a deep breath and go, you know, woo, we, 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 we survived but you really should make it a constant, um, you know, improvement cycle, you know, where, where possible, because you will learn things with every potential breach and containment exercise and notification exercise that you would then uh, apply, you know, should you suffer a breach again in the future. We don't want that to happen, of course, but sometimes, you know, it, it, it does, frankly, you know, there's, there's certainly everybody, you know, practitioners of security know it's very difficult to plug all the holes and the bad guys just need to find that one, right? So it, it can happen more than once and you want to be prepared and handle, you know, the breach as professionally and efficiently and effectively as possible to minimize the damage to your, your business, your customers. Um, that's, that's really a top priority. Who within an organization should have ownership of this? You know, it's uh, it it really uh, it should be security. Should be your quarterback. There's is I, I think it is atypical for an organization to have somebody you know outside of security quarterbacking these kinds of of efforts. But it does not mean you know you don't enlist the support of others outside of the security team because you may need people from within uh you know the business organization or in a line of business to help you truly understand the sensitivity levels around data that might have been lost or exposed in any kind of uh, um, you know, uh, breach. So you're going to put together, you know, a cross-functional team 
that the cybersecurity or your, you know, experts and your security team, CISOs often quarterback these, uh, like I said, these, these response, you know, these response efforts. But again, there is even within your organization, you know, notifications are required to senior management, potentially to boards. If you're a publicly traded company, um, board notification is going to be important as well. So, um, it usually is security that quarterbacks. But again, many members of your team across functional areas of the business should be supporting breach response and notification effort as well. That's Connie Stack. She's CEO at data protection firm Next DLP. Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, Interesting article. This is written by Sarah E. Needleman uh, for the Wall Street Journal, and it's titled Meta Uncovers Largest Ever Chinese Influence Network. What's going on here, Joe? Uh, Well, Meta has come out and said that they've found 7,700 accounts. Uh, They've taken down a bunch of accounts across more than 50 apps, including 7,700 apps or accounts on its own Facebook and Instagram. Hmm. They also found accounts on YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, Pinterest, X, formerly Twitter, and other smaller platforms as well. The operation, here we go, Dave, the operation is known uh, in the security community as Spamiflage. Nice. And it dates back to uh, 2019. And it's linked with people in the Chinese government uh, or Chinese law enforcement. Okay. Now, China denies their involvement here. Right. Um, but that's standard for a lot of governments. You know, I'm sure that if China accused us of, of the American government of doing something, we'd say, no, 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 that's not us. Sure. But th- this is tradecraft, really, yeah. um, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, this is the largest takedown that Meta has ever orchestrated, uh, 7,700 accounts on their, on their systems. It's interesting uh, that, first of all, 7,700 doesn't sound like a huge number to me relative to the size of Meta's platforms. And also, uh, you know, if you think of just populations of both the U.S. and China, there's 7,700. Big, but not huge. Right. It's interesting to me, too, that Meta says that um, they're view of this is that these really didn't get a whole lot of traction. They they didn't get a whole lot of traction. Uh, and, and maybe it's because of the small size of the network, but I don't think that's really why. I think it's probably because they were doing this. Uh, yeah, it was called by Ben Nemo, who's a global threat intelligence lead at Meta, said it's they're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Hmm. So they're just going with quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's probably not the the most effective. There was a bunch of criticism in uh, these social network sites about election interference and allowing election interference in in uh, in the 2016 election. Right. Um, and of course, you know, everybody thinks they cleaned up the rack, right? But I, I don't think that's what's going on. This is why I say, don't get your news from social media, right? <laughs> right. Just don't do it. Don't don't look at that. Don't let something on social media you see irritate you. Uh, it's Probably not true. You owe it to yourself to take the time to find out and through sources that you vetted uh, to go and look at whatever it is that's being said to see if it's true. Uh, now, these were all pro-Chinese messages and messages meant to disparage the U.S. Right, right, right. 
in in this campaign. There were there there's also mention of a Russian campaign, which was a social media campaign meant to uh, decrease the population's desire for support for Ukraine. Mm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is how uh, this is how again I say this is tradecraft for these for these folks. This is what they're doing. They're trying to change. Uh, change how people think about this so maybe mm-hmm. they reprioritize when it comes time for them to vote in their in their elections. Well, I suppose in a in a country as divided as ours is right now, right. if you're able to move that needle even just a little bit, that could make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And sadly I'll say this about people in America, it's like shooting fish in a barrel on social media. Mm. You know, these these social media apps are designed to keep you engaged. Right. Right. They're designed to keep your eyes on the page. That's what they are intended to do. And the algorithm behind the app and what puts what you know what gets put on your page does not care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian, a Green Party member. It knows that you are. Mm-hmm. It also knows how you feel about the message. Do you want to see something that are you the kind of person that likes to see stuff you agree with? Are you the kind of person that likes to see stuff you disagree with? Mm-hmm. Are you the kind of person that engages angrily with other people? It doesn't it doesn't make any distinction about about your feelings on the subject. All it cares about, the only metric it's using is how much time you spend on the platform. Yeah. So uh, that's why people are remarkably susceptible to these things. Not particularly to this campaign because this campaign wasn't that well run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a better run campaign can be much more effective. Yeah, well, and certainly as we're uh, in the run up to the next round of national elections here, this, this is, is going to be kind a of fun cycle, Dave. We're going to see a lot more of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, again, uh, article from the Wall Street Journal written by Sarah Needleman. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute to a regular segment with Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. 
N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.